Welcome to Challenge Accepted. I'm your host, Stephanie Lucas, a marriage and family therapist by trade and mom to a daughter with hearing loss. I'm creating a space for parents and caregivers of special needs families to find support, validation, and acceptance by sharing stories of a broad range of families with unique challenges. While this isn't therapy and does not replace the advice of a medical provider, we'll dive into the tougher parts of parenting together and join a team of support from others who get it. This next half hour is about you, your experiences, your emotions, and being allowed to take up space as a parent and human being. So hands in, ears on, hearts open team, this is Challenge Accepted. In this episode, I chat with Krista Haller. She is a mom of two young girls, a therapist, and a parent coach based out of Idaho. She explores her experience having kids on different ends of the sensory spectrum. She also talks about her difficulty finding the medical support she needed for her kiddo's sleeping and eating difficulty in the beginning, as well as when her oldest began to struggle with the stutter and anxiety a few years down the road. It's always fun to chat with other therapist moms. I think of all groups of people, we tend to think we'll have our shit together when we become moms, but often quickly find ourselves in the exact same boat as our clients. She and I chatted about the humility it takes to seek help for your own child and how hard it can be to advocate for your child with other providers. We had a great conversation. Krista is bubbly, energetic, and has a great perspective on coming from a place of curiosity when it comes to parenting. Enjoy. All right, today I am here with Krista Holler. Welcome to Challenge Accepted. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. So tell me a little bit about your family and what your journey has been like. Oh, so I am a mother to two lovely little ladies. Um, my oldest daughter is eight and my youngest is five. Um, Amelie is my oldest and Isla is my youngest. I'm married to my husband of 10 years now. Um, and we live in Northern Idaho and we're a busy family with the pandemic and everything like that. We've transferred all of our lives home, much like every other family <laughs> in the world. Um, but it's been a journey for sure. Um, so that's been kind of our space we've been in for the last year or so, adjusting to all of that. Yeah. So tell me what you all have been through that you feel like is kind of a unique challenge or something that's you really learned as a parent. Mm -hmm. Parenting's a whirlwind, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> so a little bit about me, just to like start off with, is that I was like 100% a professional before. Had my kids. I was working as a therapist in Alaska in residential treatment with teenagers, and just was like all in. Love the work. Had never really imagined having kids. I would say like it wasn't part of my big plan. Not. I wasn't against it. Just wasn't something that was like on my heart a ton before um, we found out we were pregnant. So once I had my kids, I of course was that mom who was like, it's not gonna change a lot, I'll still work, it'll be fine. Then I had my daughter and like my whole world yeah. <laughs> was upside down um, in like the best, most stressful way possible. <laughs> and so um, navigated that, we were living in Alaska at the time and I was by myself a lot with her. My husband worked at a remote gold mine up there. and so it was long days by myself with this little creature and me kind of figuring out how to navigate this new space. Um, as she got older, we realized that she 
was just sensitive. Like I, of course, with your first baby, you don't know what's like typical atypical, what's like within the normal range, all of that. She was a, not a colicky baby, but she definitely was more sensitive. Um, as she got into her toddler years was like very, she would cry a lot and be, um, emotional a lot. Um, and just to know what's normal. So hard to know. Right. And then also like, um, my parents would always be like, oh my gosh, she's so sensitive. You're too weak with her. Da, da, da. And I'm like, I'm feeling like some of the shame as a mother. <laughs> like if sure. I'm that's causing this. Um, I'm just following my gut of what I think is right as a mom and like reading all the things and like diving into all the things and um, Googling all the things to figure out like, why is she so um, emotional? Why are things seeming to be more stressful? Um, so fast forward to um, we have our second daughter and we decide to move to, um, Idaho and we get settled here. And, um, again, my oldest is still pretty reactive and just emotional and having a hard time. And, um, actually didn't share this with you. And this is like something that's pretty, a big part of her story is that we went to the dentist and they're like, oh, by the way, your daughter has the biggest tonsils we've ever seen. <laughs> and I was, my daughter's uh-huh three at this time and I'm like nobody ever said anything no pediatrician has ever said anything like nobody has mentioned this at all and he's like oh yeah she can probably barely breathe at night when she's sleeping and I was like oh that's interesting like she's a snorer and she does have trouble sleeping she's not sleeping which is causing her to be super emotional during the days um crying a lot um she's just kind of a cranky kid because of it (laughs) and so this opened up this whole world of like the fact that there's people who will notice these things. And, um, I felt I had to navigate a lot of like feelings of betrayal that like nobody ever mentioned this. The pediatrician never mentioned it. Um, and I don't even know where I'm going with all this, but (laughs) all that to say is that it became this part of this puzzle of like really being curious about who my daughter was. Right. She was at four by this time. And I became really curious about like attachment and who she is and her sensory needs. Um, and also starting to really name what her experience was as a person, right? Not just like my child, but as a human being, she is her own, um, entity who has her own needs and things like that. So realizing that she had this tonsil thing, we got the tonsils removed, started to sleep better, started to eat better, started to like, I know, right. world. I was like, oh my gosh, like you can sleep and you can get rest and you can not be tired all the time. Um, but with that, I also realized that she was a sensory avoided kid quite a bit. Um, and I think before I kind of enabled it as like being a kid who's kind of just wanting to have time to herself a lot more, but the more I kind of looked at her through a sensory lens and being curious about her preferences and what she felt more, um, calm around was like the quieter times she had certain needs in regards to like, um, clothing that she wears and things like that. Um, so it became, became really like big for me to advocate for her and educate all my family members about what her experience is like and letting them know, like, just because she likes quiet doesn't mean that um, you have to like quiet. I just mean like to be respectful of her needs. Like if she needs some quiet time to calm down, let's do that for her, um, which can be uncomfortable to talk to your family about. Like this is her preference. She's not being a spoiled brat she truly just doesn't like that shirt and how scratchy it is to her it is very scratchy <laughs> and so right. um I always share the analogy of like sandpaper we did a training one time about that where it's like 
they pass around sandpaper and had to have people rub it on their arm. Some people have like a huge adverse reaction to the idea of doing that. And some people did not. They're like, whatever, who cares? And that's like that sensory differences that we all navigate all the time. Um, so adding to that mix is my youngest is a sensory seeker. She like came in like a bullet china shop into our lives and just can't get enough sensory input. She's constantly rocking, constantly needing to um, have input all the time. And so I'm always balancing these two worlds of a child who has more grounding sensory needs and one who needs more of an excitatory sensory need. Um, so yeah, um, what else? On top of all of that, all of that my oldest also has um, some pretty, um, I won't say severe, but she has some speech issues that we noticed really early on when she was about four as well. Like I feel like at four, everything kind of come to this head where we were like, let's really start to address things. I think part of it was because she's going to school. It was this idea of like, let's make sure she's feeling empowered and ready to go and prepared. Right. And she was in preschools and they would say like, oh, she's doing great. She's a really high achieving reader. She does really wonderfully, but there were some speech issues there where she was, um, her words are really slushy. She goes by it naturally. I'm a fast talker and I tend to be slushy <laughs> when I talk. So, um, but we got her assessed literally three different times and she's a performer. So like when she got those assessments, she would do great. And they'd be like, everything looks fine. There is a little bit of stuff, but she doesn't quite qualify for services. But we'd go home and we'd see these issues come up. Um, and it became really frustrating because we were just like, we need her to get the help that she needs, but nobody's willing to help her or yeah, hear she our story. Pass the test, exactly. the failure <laughs> test. Yeah, or like hear like, or trust our like story. Like yeah. I'm telling you day in, day out that like she has a pretty severe stutter. She is hard to understand. Um, we think it's affecting her writing and her spelling and things like that. Um, and she was becoming self-conscious of it. Like she would say, my mom, mom, my words are really bumpy and I feel like people can't understand me. Kids are starting to say things to her. Like it became a thing, but like they just would not hear it and it was really frustrating <laughs> and be that whole thing of like well she can't come in for services but insurance isn't going to cover it because she doesn't qualify according to this test which would make me crazy as a mother <laughs> like I'd be like oh. um so finally in second grade we had a wonderful teacher who um got her like she saw it in the classroom and it really advocated for her and was heard and she got finally got tested and they finally were like okay yes she qualifies for services but she was in second grade by then like Right. What a wild time to really navigate that, like for a long time before she actually got the services. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of been my journey. It's a really long-winded <laughs> story about that, but you mentioned feeling that sense of betrayal, kind of in the mm -hmm. medical community with the tonsils, but I imagine also with this testing and retesting and yep. trying to get her services. Um, what was that like for you, just emotionally, in terms of? sticking to your guns or having to learn to honestly it was like heartbreaking but also confusing because I feel like I was following my mom gut that there was something quote-unquote wrong um and that she needed guidance and service and I think also and we briefly talked about this before before we started taping but there's also this dynamic too with my husband where I'm like hey something's going on he's like you're being a little bit sensitive like I think you're overthinking this and I'm like no I'm pretty sure that this isn't typical um and at this time I was working at, at early head start so like I'm literally with kids all the time assessing their speech and all of that so like I'm right. on the other end where like I'm aware that there's a need here um but I think that um it was confusing to me I felt like I couldn't trust my mom gut which is really jarring um a little gaslighty <laughs> like feeling mm -hmm. like you're being told one thing but your reality is very much this other thing 
also heartbreaking for my daughter because I feel like she was aware and I think her I think all too often too when we're in these scenarios with our children and they're seeing these adults talk about their experience that also is heartbreaking for me in the sense that like she has told me this is hard for me my speech is bumpy I want help with it I take her to a specialist to get her assessed and she can't force herself to do that and obviously she feels successful when she's not having bumpy words but to have them say it's not an issue is like oh like just heartbreaking for me as a mom to have my daughter hear that by adults and having adults um fail her you know and not step up for her in the way that they could mm-hmm. how does it feel like you've learned to cope with that work around it heal from it okay. yeah I think really learning and becoming an advocate has been really powerful um like taking on, like I've really dove into the work around sensory needs. I'm on the OT obviously, but like, I know the power of being aware and being curious about our kids' sensory needs, um, of being aware of those following our gut a bit more about if something comes up, then like kind of communicating that to my partner and doing the research and speaking up when we need to not feeling like just because somebody says that's not the case, taking that for an answer and being like, oh, that's all right. Like, I think to the pediatricians, I think this is not going against pediatricians by any means, but I think they're kind of given this like gold standard of like, they are the ultimate for everything. And they are in so many ways, but they're not like overall, they're not gonna meet every single need that you need across the board. There's so many different spaces in child development that we aren't aware of or educated on, like the sensory needs with the OT or the speech services or, even attachment work with a therapist and things like that, that I think I've really become passionate about educating and using my work as a clinician and as a parent coach to really help others be curious about their own children and learn um, and see their child's needs from an empathetic space. Yeah. That's been really healing for me. It's so true that, you know, we really have to step into that role of as parents, we are the experts in our mm-hmm. own kid. I know you and I probably both tell families yep. that all day yeah, long. Yeah. Um, but in the medical world, that can be a scary thing, yep. right? To say, I am the expert in this kid. And I know that you went to you know, 15 years of medical school yeah. or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Um, or you've been doing this for forever, but I need you to hear me. And that, yeah. that can be really hard. I've also really leaned into being vulnerable to allow my husband to step into some of these spaces in the sense of like, I'm really good at doing all the research, but he, I also know about myself that I shut down when I'm in the face of an authority. That's my own personality. So yeah, it's not good for me to go to the doctor because if they say, oh, that's not a concern, then I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then I go home and I'm like, oh my gosh, it was a concern for me. And he's better at being like, nope, we want to make sure this gets checked out. And so that's been something that's been really beautiful for, for him and I and our relationship and parenthood because I'm able to do all this legwork, the stuff that matters to me in regards to like, these are the facts of what's going on. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're working on. And then he can go in and really talk and advocate for our family as a whole, which makes him feel good and fulfilled and also push where needs to be pushed a bit more, which has been really nice. So yeah, it's so nice to find that partnership. Sometimes yeah. it can be. It takes time. Very, yeah. 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 Sure. Does it feel like your job kind of in the mental health parenting world collides with this and oh, what- 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm not supposed to admit that but like 100% like I don't feel like I would be the parent I am now if I had not worked for early head start and 
like that dog literally changed my life in the sense of um, an early head start. You're going in the home and you're seeing families. And I'd been a clinician before, but it was like people would come to me in my office and I would like give them these charts and like use these rewards with your, your family. And like, it was very clinical and dry and not attachment based at all. It was very um, rewards based and just, ugh, I just look back and I cringe at like things I would tell parents before I was a parent. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and so then when I became an early head start um, family consultant and going in the home and getting training after training after training on attachment and um, this breadth of child development, my world opened up to be curious. Um, and now in the work that I do, I think I take that and I use that attachment lens with all the parents that I work with um, to be curious about what we're bringing into our parent role what our kids' sensory needs are, because there's like connection, there's empowerment, there's all these different elements that go into parenting. Um, but I think also like humility, like bringing in that space of like, we can be humble and admit that we don't know all the things and there's power in that as well. Mm -hmm. So I love that curious, you kind of push that a few times, but I think it's so important when we're navigating this world of what's actually going on for our kiddo, right? Before yeah. we get a diagnosis or if we get a diagnosis, maybe we don't agree with. Yeah. Um, and feeling like maybe we're self-judging or mm -hmm. maybe, you know, an older generation's like, oh my gosh, you're just being yeah. dramatic. dramatic, especially as mental health professionals. They're like, oh, you just want everything yeah. to be perfect. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just sitting in that curiosity and saying, okay, it doesn't have to be a bad thing that that's happening yeah. or over, totally overwhelming and we don't have to fix it all yeah. in the next 24 hours. Or even with my daughter's anxiety, my oldest daughter. So when she was six, we took her to a therapist because her anxiety was just getting pretty um, tough and she wasn't sleeping. And like being a clinician, I felt like I, like obviously there's all the ethical stuff of like, don't diagnose it. But it's like, as a clinician and as a mom, it's like, how do I navigate this? Because I know the tools to help a client, but like, this is my child's and my soul that's outside my body. So it's like, <laughs> when she's in pain, I'm in pain. Um, so taking to our therapist was also a really humbling space to reach outside of myself and say, I'm a clinician and I need you to help my daughter to get through this. But it also was the best gift ever to be able to bring to the forefront and name what was going on for her. Cause that was totally empowering for her. Even though I know that clinically that's powerful for my own daughter, it was a different journey to talk about it in a really open way and be present with it. Um, and educate my husband on it and bring him into my world a bit with that, um, yeah. Probably one of the most vulnerable things you can do is to ask an expert in your own field to be an expert. For yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> or give you feedback too. Right. I remember my yeah. assessment and her being like doing the assessment, her being like, do you have anxiety? And we've been like, like not diagnosed, <laughs> but because <laughs> she was trying to be very like, you know, apples and fall far from the tree thing. And I was just like, yeah, I know. Okay. Like, again, we know <laughs> these things as clinicians, but it's a different right. experience when you're sitting there. For sure. Well, what do you think has been most helpful for you or would you advise a parent maybe sitting a few years earlier than you in their journey? Mm. With a... I think really like trusting your skills to advocate for your child and to speak up for your child and um, to really be able to speak to your child's truth um, and to remember that they're always watching and listening, right? Like I always think about that of, um, my daughter has seen us go through so much and she's seen me fight for her and advocate for her needs and speak up for her. 
in a caring way, not in an in combative way, but just in a way that's like, I care about you and your needs and this is a priority. And there's so much trust that's built into that. Um, like as we navigate next year and going to school, obviously her anxieties coming up a little bit it's already starting where she's like worried about what that will look like and things like that and there's so much trust there because she knows that I'm going to go to bat for her we're going to figure this out together um one of my mantras as a family is like the howlers stick together so we're like all in this together we're going to navigate this together that I'm never going to be surprising her with anything that we're going to take this slowly and gently um that calms her so much and the trust is there so much um so I think just really trusting the process that you land on as a parent and really trusting your gut and that um, the goals you have for your family and really lean into that, I think is really powerful. Yeah, I love that, that even if you're hitting roadblocks in mm -hmm. the medical world, you're still teaching your kid how to advocate for themselves yeah. and building that trust of, you know, I see you, I hear you. Yeah. And I think too, like helping them own who they are, right? Like my daughter, the stutter thing was really hard socially for her. And we've had a lot of tough conversations around owning it when she's with her friends and her peers, because they start to notice, or they will make comments, not realizing that this is something that is hard for her. So also educating her peers about like what Amelie struggles with and like what helps versus like, don't interrupt her, but just give her time to get out what she wants to say. Um, educating other parents about how to support Amelie has been really wonderful. Um, all of these things show Amelie that like we're on her side. We want her to succeed. She will succeed. Um, and that we're there to celebrate her when she does have those successes. I love that. <laughs> well, you're a parent coach and I'm yeah. sure that some people listening are like, oh, I need to hear more <laughs> from this lady. <laughs> How do we find you if we um probably the easiest way is on instagram at krista k-r-i-s-t-a dot haller h-a-l-l-e-r um, i post a lot of coaching stuff there motherhood stuff there um i also have a website www.kristahaller.com that has information about how to work with me um and how i can help you be curious about your child and parent from a space of curiosity and um, a space of advocacy and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank and you for having me. To, yeah, we'll chat more in the future, I'm sure. 100%. <laughs> <laughs>
I love how Krista shared about learning to lean into her partnership. So often in parent relationships with a special needs kiddo, there's a dance of who does what, when, and why. It can be a bumpy road. As both my first guest Fiona and Krista shared, sometimes a diagnosis seems clear to one parent and unclear to another. For my husband and I, I had the more flexible work schedule, and because of corona, only one parent was allowed at a lot of appointments, so there was a lot of communication needed to feel like we were both on board. These struggles can cause tension and be a difficult thing to navigate, and I love that for Krista, it evolved into asking her husband to help advocate with medical providers and fill in the gaps where she felt less confident. Navigating the experience as partners is hard, and it's something I want to continue to talk more about. Mistrust in medical providers is also a huge issue. So often parents have their feelings about medical providers, whether it's fear, feelings that they are the expert and not wanting to speak up or disagree, or their own trauma history. The medical world is a minefield for miscommunication and missed emotions. I'm going to pour some time into reflecting on my experience in this topic for the next Benisode because it was a big one for me. Be on the lookout for that next week. Overall, I love Krista's beautiful message that even if medical providers weren't responsive to their requests for help at first, her daughter saw her advocating for her. She said, she knows I'll go to bat for her. And I think that is huge when in the world of special needs and disability. Such a beautiful testament to the role we play as parents and the foundation that we set for a lifetime, ultimately aiming for our kiddos to learn to self-advocate. So cheers to all the parents fighting that good fight from one office to the next. We're on your team and we're rooting for you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope it was inspiring and encouraging for you in your journey. If you enjoyed it, I love it if you could share it with your friend, subscribe for future content, and leave us a five-star review. This will help us grow our reach so others can join our community of support. If you would like to share your unique story with the Challenge Accepted community, feel free to reach out to me on social media, Stephanie Lucas MFT, on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for being a part of our team. 